Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Monday, May 18th. We continue to learn more details about when we might see professional tennis return to the court, the ATP, the WTA, the ITF, and all the invested entities making the announcement this past weekend that the start date for the resumption of professional tennis is going to be pushed back another month now. That was a tentative July 12th on their last announcement, but all three organizations making the decision to extend the suspension of professional play through July 31st. We're going to talk today about that decision, the logistics behind it, what we're starting to learn about when we may see professional tennis's at least formal return. I know there have been some exhibition events, and I want to talk about those today as well. I also want to talk about the emerging player relief detail funds, uh, that or the player relief fund details, I should say, that we continue to hear just bits and pieces about what that's actually going to look like, how the payments are going to be divided up amongst the players, how much money all of these players are going to receive and when they're actually going to start receiving it. So we're going to talk about those two big storylines. Of course, those are the storylines right now in professional tennis and probably will remain so until we start to begin hearing that professional tennis is ready to make its return. But there's also so much great content out there in the tennis world, and I want to share some of my favorite stories that I read or maybe it was a video that I watched this weekend from the tennis world give all of you fans a chance to check out that content as well because there really are so many great members of the tennis media who create uh, work that we here like to celebrate on the mini break podcast and we're fortunate enough to get to talk to a lot of those journalists as well so whenever they're throwing out good pieces you know we're going to highlight them here on the mini break that's today's agenda for the show but before we can get into that you know I have to let you know these shows are made possible day in day out due to the support we get from our friends at Midwest Sports And for more than 20 years, Midwest Sports has served as one of the world's premier tennis equipment suppliers because they offer a comprehensive selection of fast shipping tennis supplies that few retailers can match. And it doesn't matter what you play with. Are you a Babolat guy, Dunlop, Head, Wilson, Yonix, whatever it may be, they've got the equipment that will accentuate your gear and put you in the best position to succeed because they offer tens of thousands of products available for shipping directly from their automated warehouse right to your home. And look, they value innovation and have personally tailored their products to highlight your skills on the court. And maybe you don't know what you need. Maybe you're a little frustrated with your racket or you think I need to change up the strings or the grip's not right. Well, the good news is their well-trained staff are intimately familiar with tennis equipment and can help you find that perfect tennis racket, perfect tennis shoe, or perfect piece of tennis clothing that is sure to put you ahead of the competition. Now, here's what you're going to do. You're going to go to MidwestSports.com. You're going to find stuff you like. I can guarantee that. And you're going to really like the prices as well because they're going to beat everyone else out there in the market. 
you're going to order yourself up some stuff. Maybe, again, you're in a place where safely, healthily, you can return to the tennis court, start playing once again. And so you're going to want to be well-equipped. Well, here's the good news. Once you place your order A, to save even more money, you're going to want to use our promo code CR15 to get 15% off all of your sale items. Now, some exclusions do apply, and the code will not work on those items. But above all else, you'll get 15% off your order. And then to ensure that you are ready to get back to the tennis court right away. This code will add one free can of Wilson tennis balls to the cart at checkout. So imagine that. You get the string, you get the racket, you get the clothes, you get the balls you need as well to hit the court directly. So go to MidwestSports.com. Use that promo code CR15 so that they know who sent you there. Get 15% off your order and enjoy yourself a beautiful return to the tennis court. You'll be decked out and you'll be ready to go. MidwestSports.com. The promo code is CR15. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe. More than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. Now, let's get to today's news because as I mentioned, that was the, you know, the big storyline of the weekend. We're finally starting to learn more about the scheduling of the ATP, the WTA, the ITF moving forward and They've been fairly transparent, I do have to say. We've gotten fairly regular updates. They haven't missed a deadline yet. They've said, hey, we're going to update you in a month. They update us in a month. They say, hey, we're going to update you in two weeks. They've updated us in two weeks. So props to them for that. Now, their coordination amongst, you know, with the players, the actual professionals, are the players learning oftentimes at the same time as the media and the fans do? Some will say, yes, they do learn through Twitter, and you could argue that's just how modern-day news works, and sometimes a reporter is going to beat someone to a scoop before a player can find out. But I do think they've you know, done a fairly good job, been fairly transparent thus far in their thought processes. I mean, how many times have we heard Steve Simon or Andrea Gaudenzi, the two heads of the respective organizations, come out and offer quotes on the current state of things in professional tennis? So they've done a good job. But what was notable about this announcement, at least for me, this was the first announcement that wasn't coordinated amongst the various group. It wasn't a unified statement where you know, the draft that copy was going to be the same, the message that was being shared between all three organizations, ITF, ATP, and WTA, because those are really the big three when it comes to professional tennis organizations, the ITF being the challengers, the futures, the 25K level, uh, all of those events under the ITF umbrella, obviously WTA International and up, ATP 250s and up. But they had been coordinating their statements beforehand, and I don't know if this signals that there's beginning to be some disagreement, some separation uh, between the various organizations, but that wouldn't surprise me at all because, uh, you know, depending on your personal feelings, depending on what your group of advisors are telling you, there may be some organizations that are more predisposed to want to return to the court as soon as possible. And again, for all of these organizations right now, the tentative suspension date is July 31st, 2020. But 
all of the statements they offered were differing. And, you know, it, it, what this starts to show me is maybe the ATP thinks, hey, we can start to come back in August. Maybe the WTA thinks, hey, we should not start to come back in August. Maybe the ITF is like, you understand we have events in at least 10 countries per week on a, you know, week by week basis. There is no way we can coordinate that sort of effort right now. So, no, we're not coming back. But we did. It's just notable to me that they didn't coordinate the statements this time. And yes, the details emerging ended up being the same. But that's just an interesting tidbit for us to note moving forward. And I want to read those statements for you real quick because they're all fairly brief. You know, the ATP announcing they've extended the suspension of the ATP tour through July 31st due to the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic. This decision made in close collaboration with tour members. I assume they mean tournament hosts, players, the player council, etc., means ATP events in Hamburg, Bastad, Newport, Los Cabos, Gustad, Umag, Atlanta, and Kitzbühel will not take place as scheduled. Kitzbühel, I hope I did a good job on that pronunciation. If I did not, please let me know. The extended suspension also applies to the ATP Challenger Tour and to men's events on the ITF World Tennis Tour. So you do see a little bit of coordination there, but again, it's the differing statements because in this one you have the quote from Chairman Andrea Gaudenzi, due to the continued uncertainty surrounding the pandemic, we regret to announce our decision to extend the suspension of the tour. Just like tennis fans, players, and tournament hosts all over the world, we share in the disappointment the tour continues to be affected in this way. We continue to assess all of our options in an effort uh, to resume the tour as soon as it is safe to do so, including the feasibility of rescheduling events later in the season. So again, they are not closing the door on any of these things. I said these events, you know, the ones I mentioned, uh, uh, Newport, Atlanta, Kitzbühel, etc. See, I'm just trying to keep sliding in saying Kitzbühel as much as possible because I'm really enjoying the way uh, it's coming out right now. Anyways, uh, they're trying to, you know, there will be a rush. If there's professional tennis played from October, let's say, through December, and I'm not saying that's a possibility at this point, but if it is, you're going to try and see, or I think you will see a lot of these events try to reschedule later on. And, you know, that's what this statement indicates and says, as ever, the health and well-being of the tennis community and wider public remains our top priority in every decision we make. Tournaments taking place from August 1st, 2020 onwards are still planning to proceed as per the published schedule. A further update on the ATP tour calendar is expected in mid-June. And again, for the WTA, it was a fairly similar, but not exactly coordinated because, you know, they announced their suspension uh, of the of, through July 12th. The WTA events in Bastad, Lausanne, Bucharest, and Hermala uh, scheduled for July will not be held due to the pandemic. You know, the statement, we regret this is the case, but will continue to be guided by medical experts for when it is safe and possible to return to WTA competition. We continue to monitor the situation closely and are hopeful to be back on the court as soon as possible. A decision regarding the dates in which Rule and Palermo may be played along with further updates to the WTA calendar will be made in June. So again, some Somewhat of a coordinated statement, but not entirely. The ITF is similar across all levels, juniors, seniors, wheelchair tennis tour, beach tennis tour, the ITF world tennis tour, uh, all of it being pushed back in this moment. Of course, they have issued their return to tennis guidelines for the staging of competition with appropriate integrity, safe health and safety measures in place, and advise recreational players to follow information and instructions from their national federation as they return to play. So yeah, that's the big news. We're not going to be seeing any tennis through the rest of July, at least 
on the ATP WTA and uh, you know levels and below um, in the formal tours. But we did talk about uh, just this past week on a podcast, and I believe that podcast was released today on the Great Shot podcast. We talked with Brett McCormick of Sports Business Journal. How feasible is it for professional tennis to return if you know COVID nineteen? Uh, effects are still in place in terms of you know no fan events or how would that affect the revenue of so many events where you know they're the majority of the revenue they generate for themselves comes from ticket prices comes from concessions just comes from hosting the event and having the usual amount of people of tennis fans filter in and out of the event um you know that presents a a particularly bigger challenge for events as you get lower down the tiers you know for the grand slams financially i think it's about a third of the money they make comes from gate receipts comes from actually hosting the events with fans and you know a third of hundreds of million dollars is a lot of money but it's only a third of those hundred millions they still have two-thirds of the hundreds of millions so it becomes more feasible but as brett lists out in his article during the podcast the further you descend down the rankings the less feasible it becomes you know for i think the atp 250s it's like 12 percent of the revenue they generate comes from their media deals the other 88 percent usually comes from hosting the event having people there and the idea of not being able to host you know their various events will certainly take a hit and whether it will be feasible for them to come back or not whether it's even worthwhile to host an event if you're making 12 percent of the revenue you expected uh, that's a decision a lot of these tournaments are going to have to face and of course there will be so much jockeying and hustling to put your event on the calendar should professional tennis return at all this year that it's going to be a, it's going to be a race to the finish i've used this term before it will certainly be a cluster because everyone is going to be competing for those spots and it's going to be the wild wild west in terms of who gets them first if what the french open has done has been any uh, indication of what it will look like uh, there will be a lot of jacking and it'll depend a lot on you know the regional certainty uh, of where the event is is that area safer have cases diminished or decreased to a point where it becomes more comfortable and maybe you can have 50 percent of the fans and There are a lot of details still to work out is what I'm trying to say. And, of course, again, I would recommend that pod I did with Brett McCormick to all of you because I think you will learn something about the business ins and outs of professional tennis, what it, what it, you know, the costs that go into running an event like this. And, of course, the added costs of hosting an event during this pandemic. Uh, You talk about the safety precautions, the measures you would have to take to ensure players and officials and any participants in the event uh, can participate in it while maintaining their, you know, while ensuring that they will be safe. And that's something that will certainly add costs to tournaments. And if you're only making 12% of the revenue, do those costs outweigh that 12% already? So it becomes impossible. So again, this is a storyline we're going to keep monitoring. But be sure to go check out the Great Shot podcast I did with Sports Business Journal's Brett McCormick. I promise if you like that one, you'll also like the one we did with ATP CEO Mark Miles. Because if you want to learn the ins and outs of the business of running tennis, there's no one better to speak to than the former CEO of the ATP. So be sure to go check those out on the Great Shot podcast feed. And as we mentioned, you know, at the end of uh, June, it sounds like these turn or mid, sometime in the middle of June, excuse me, we should get another wave of statements from all these organizations so you know we'll continue to monitor that and you know John Millman made a good point this week and he said if the eight you know he keeps hearing the ATP plans on backlogging the schedule and fit in as many events at the end of the year as possible is that the same you know will it be the same for futures for challengers it's unclear and so that's something they will have to continue to uh, you know monitor and they've never done a great job of balancing that schedule before so imagine trying to fit in you know 
hundreds of challengers in a little three-month stretch. That's going to be chaos, uh, but it's something for us to look forward to, I suppose, should we get the return of live tennis later on this year. Uh, other than that, again, we did get, and I, I should mention, by the way, they will have a draft of an updated 2021 ATP calendar, uh, which displays the adjustments made to the calendar due to the COVID-19 pandemic. That's expected to be released in August of this year. So be on the lookout for all of that. Another postponement, the Tennis Hall of Fame induction ceremony, not going to be this year. It's going to be moved to 2021. That, of course, is because I believe Newport got canceled. It was part of those July tournament stretches. So no Newport, no IT. Hall of Fame induction ceremony, it seems like. And that's upsetting, but, you know, we, uh, that's another thing. We will get back soon. The ITA Summer Circuit still scheduled to start in July as of right now. Uh, but, you know, the ITA has been constantly updating and constantly saying what it will take for that event to start on time. Certain events may not start. Uh, they may be canceled as opposed to other ones, which they will try to play in the moment. Um, but for now, you know, still scheduled to play in July. We also learned of the return of the LTA National Championships. For the first time since 2002, the British Tennis Organization is going to hold national championship for the men, the women, the juniors, and the wheelchair players. That, you know, throw that in along upside uh, the rest of the exhibition events we have seen over the past couple of weekends in tennis as something to look forward to. I mean, you know, is it the intensity of a Grand Slam final? No, of course it's not because nothing matches the intensity of a Grand Slam final. But competing for national championships, that's when things get fun. You know, if you've ever been to Kalamazoo, uh, you know the level of tennis there. The level of competition is exceptional and gets better and better as the week goes on. I can't anticipate it would be any different uh, for the LTA national championship. So be on the lookout for that for sure. Uh, and as I've mentioned, we're already starting to see the return of live tennis. This past weekend, we had a very interesting event in Rolling Hills, California, hosted by former Washington men's tennis player Jake Douglas. Uh, they had a bunch of players, guys like, I believe, Bradley Klon, Sam Query, Marcos Garon, Brandon Holt of USC, uh, just playing a little you know, exhibition-style event, playing the fast four, no-ad format, tiebreakers at three-all. Uh, just because, look, at this point, everyone's looking for a little bit of tennis and everyone's looking for a little bit of entertainment. And if you can do both of those things while maintaining the safety and health of all of the players participating, you've got yourself a win of an event. And thankfully for us here at Cracked Rackets, we were plugged in all weekend long because our friend, Tennis Channel's Kale Hammond, a writer that, who you know familiar or you should be familiar with for his work uh, that he has done, you know, his multiple appearances on this podcast, uh, was covering the event firsthand. And we plan on having him on the show at some point this week to talk about the level of tennis, talk about, again, what it's like to be covering tennis in a time like this, because it's definitely funky for all of us. I'm fascinated to hear what he has to say. Uh, But that was a really fun event, and I believe Sam Query ended up taking home the title, which he seems to always win those UTR-style events in California. So I suppose he's probably the best UTR California player in history at this point, at least Steve Johnson. That's a call-out for you. Um, but yeah, shout out to him, and it was a really fun event. I also want to give a shout out to my guy, Jiri Nathan, who I, I call him my guy. I don't know him. I know Kale knows him, and he speaks very highly of him, and for me, it's all one family. So if, you know, if Jiri's the guy, then um, 
then Jury's the guy. I apologize if you hear that. Our dog Quavo has broken through the fence, as he is so frequent to do nowadays when I go through this podcast. You can't control him anymore. He's just too powerful. But anyways, we're going to keep rolling. Speaking of can't control anymore, he's too powerful. That's seven-footer Riley Opelka in a nutshell, right? I mean, that talk about a guy who won another ATP title this year, who continues uh, to get better and better as he grows into and you know fills out his seven-foot frame. He's a guy who I anticipate to be at the top of the game for quite a bit of time, and he might be the American uh, male whose upside I am most excited about uh, for obvious reasons. And we litigated all those reasons, by the way, last week during our next-gen ATP-themed week here on the Mini Break Podcast. We talked about the Americans specifically. Uh, We talked about the guys who we think in that group as a cohort at large could win Grand Slams. Uh, He's a guy who was named in both pods. So plenty of Riley Opelka talk last week on the Mini Break Podcast. Uh, But Jury Nathan got the chance to sit down with Riley and do I tell this story? Sure, I will. Um, I think we've all done interviews uh, if you do enough of these podcasts and we've done I think over 600 now here at Cracked Rackets. Was that a little bit of a humble brag I suppose? That's more a testament I suppose to the efforts of super producer Daniel Westoff. Anyways, there are interviews uh, you know that I would like to get back and there's not too many on that list because so many of our guests are so spectacular. Uh, but I know if I got the chance to interview Riley Opelka again, I would do a much better job this time than in my opinion I did the first time. And why I say that is because, you know, why I would like that opportunity is anytime you see an Opelka interview, particularly as of late, Talk about a guy who's candid, who's in command of his answers, who knows the message he wants to give, regardless of if that message is a little controversial or not. And, I mean, Jury just nailed this interview with Opelka, got a, you know, captured his goofy side, but also captured, uh, you know, the fact that Riley clearly does think about the long-term issues facing tennis, the fact that, you know, Riley not happy with the way the player relief fund has gone out. Riley, you know, talks about what life on the transition tour and life on the challenger circuit is like. Uh, you know, he also talks about some fun stuff as well, because you can't go through Riley and Opelka interview without having a little bit of fun, but it's a fantastic interview Jury did for RacketMag.com. Again, you can find it there, or you can go to at Jury Nathan. It's called Backyard Champ. Riley Opelka has been keeping busy, and it's one of my favorite things I read this weekend, so be sure to go check that out for sure. Give our guy, I'll stick with that title, Jury Nathan, a little bit of support as he very much uh, deserves that. Um, of course, again, as I mentioned, uh, speaking of the player relief, which Opelka was criticizing, we started to learn a little bit more details, and this comes from at Ahmed Federer, that's Ahmed uh, Abdel. Delal, I believe is his real name, but it's at Ahmed Federer. Uh, the ATP Player Relief Fund details came out. The first payment's going to be about $4,400 with a second payment to follow later. The criteria, it looks like it's going to be players ranked 101 through 500 in singles or 51 through 175 in doubles. That includes people with protected rankings. The exclusions for who will not receive uh, player relief funds. Players with 250k in earning in the last year and players who have earned over over a million dollars over the last four years. Also, if you are a suspended player currently, you will not uh, be eligible for these funds. It's looking very similar for the WTA details as well. Um, and again, you know, some of this some of this stuff uh, hasn't been released publicly. Who's gotten it? You know, you can't. I don't think they have a list of players who are receiving all of this uh, these sort of relief funds. But that's the general criteria as it seems thus far. And you know, again. 
we've leveled a lot of complaints. We've leveled a lot of praise as well. Regardless of which side you fall on, I think we can all agree that it's good that the that professional tennis is doing something for its players. And that shouldn't be the standard, right? It, it's not they did the bare minimum, so that's more than enough. But I think we can all agree $10,000 is going to significantly help so many of these players. And at a certain point, you just got to get the relief funds out there. You got to get the money to these players because they're in desperate need. And, you know, this is something. This is a serious sum of money to a serious amount of players. And, you know, again, it's not like there are billions of dollars just sitting around to ensure that every player can get through this time safely and healthily and tennis isn't going to be affected at all. That's just not the reality of the financial world tennis lives in. But this is something. This is, you know, getting millions of dollars into the plant hands of hundreds of players. And that is a win, in my opinion. Not a huge win. Again, there are things that could be done better. But a win for sure. So, congrats, you know, congratulations. I suppose, congratulations is the wrong word. Props to the ATP, the WT, the ITF for, I'll say it affectionately, for getting their shit together and getting this money out finally uh, to all of these players. Uh, that was a big piece of news. And again, here down the home stretch, a couple of other good pieces of news, good things I read as well before we wrap today's pod. Uh, we learned from, and this is from at Jose Morgado, but it was announced by the ATP Tour, uh, the U.S. Open temporary hospital is being shut down. New York is no longer at the place where they need to use the Billie Jean King National Tennis Center, uh, which had opened its doors, of course, to support New York City's battle against the coronavirus and transformed into a temporary hospital. Uh, But the hospital has officially been closed, and they're currently in shutting down mode. Uh, According to the National Tennis Center COO, Danny Zausner, crews will be in there for the next three or four weeks, disassembling, sanitizing, and getting them ready to open for indoor business when they can. And again, they you know, shout out to, uh, I guess, since starting tennis, have, they've utilized Louis Armstrong Stadium uh, to fulfill meal packages to be sent to patients, healthcare workers, and school children. Since starting by preparing 150,000 meals per day, the program has been scaled back to provide hot food for first responders. Uh, and it's Zausner says the food production is set to end on May 22nd. But again, shout out to the Billie Jean King National Tennis Center, living up to the player, uh, the person it's named after in this role in helping combat the fight of the coronavirus pandemic in uh, New York City, of course. So, But it's good to hear again that it's shutting down, that they no longer need to use it. Of course, should they need it once again, there's no doubt that they will open their doors, of course, to all of those that are in need. Uh, so that that was one piece of news. You know, uh, I, I will say, you know, from here, uh, a couple fun ones to end. If you haven't yet, go check out the Tennis Channel piece they did on Paul Jubb, the recently graduated, I suppose, University of South Carolina Gamecock, last year's NCAA men's singles champion for the Division One men, uh, who left, who's officially leaving to turn pro after four years at South Carolina. Now, you know, four years there, I believe he's still 20, maybe 21. He was a guy who entered college so young. Uh, we've had the chance to speak with him on the great uh, on the cracked interviews podcast excuse me and it's a tremendous story of some of the things he's been in through his through his life that he's gone through you wouldn't wish on anyone um and just for him to show the resilience and the, the dedication to his craft and just the talent it's an it's an incredible story and i know all of you will enjoy it so go check it out you can find it uh it's another tennis story on the tennis channel twitter account that all of you will enjoy i also think all of you will enjoy the story of ron Yu, one of the world's leading racket technicians and stringers in the business 
he, you know, this piece written by Christopher Clary, again, another New York Times uh, piece titled, As His Pay Shrinks in the Absence of Tennis, His Heart Grows Fonder, and it talks about for him, you know, yes, how he's taking a business, uh, you know, a major hit in his business right now. He's lost his primary source of income, but also remembered how much he loves the sport. I, it's phenom- it's a phenomenal piece by Chris, just one of those. I mean, if you have been around tennis, you've heard of Ron Yu's story, I suppose, before, because he's one of the most infamous stringers in the game. Uh, but it's a really well-written piece that I know all of you will enjoy, so go check that out. And last but not least, I know what you are thinking. Alex, we're 27-ish minutes into today's mini-break podcast, and not once have you brought up the Andy Murray-Nick Kyrgios conversation, the incredible display of overserved we saw live between two players, and you're not going to break it down on today's mini break podcast i'm going to say no i am not because if you want to hear that breakdown go to our youtube channel and check out today's episode of Overserved. because i spent plenty of time breaking down that conversation in honor of nick curios being Overserved. we thought it would be a perfect segment for Overserved. so be sure to go check that out on our youtube channel you don't want to miss out on any of that content i believe we're on episode 10 crazy how these 10 weeks fly flew by but yeah episode 10 this past weekend and you know super producer daniel west stuff never holds back so i know all of you will go enjoy that go check it out while you're on that YouTube channel, go check out our newest episode of CR Classics. Ben Rothenberg and I going back to 2005, so think about that. 2005, uh, I for the majority of the year, I was nine years old, so I was not yet even in the double digits. Uh, but thanks to YouTube, it can go back in time. Thanks to Wikipedia, you can go back and research all of these things. And we did the 2005 Australian Open semifinal classic match between Serena Williams and Maria Sharapova, maybe the defining match of that that generation of talented tennis players because once Serena beat Sharapova, and yeah, she struggled a little bit in the aftermath, but just the mental edge she had on Sharapova from that moment on, again, may have defined a generation of results, and it's a fantastic, uh, it will be a fantastic podcast. I think we went over two hours, as we always do. Uh, Westoff, of course, the magician, has to make it into an hour-long video only for the YouTube channel, and he did manage to do that, and I know all of you will enjoy that, so be sure to go check it out on our YouTube channel. And as I mentioned already, you know, GSPs with ATP CEO, former ATP CEO Mark Miles, uh, GSP with Sports Business Journal's Brett McCormick. Of course, last week on the Mini Break podcast was Next Gen ATP Week, so if you missed any of that, be sure to go check it out. It'll all hold up. Cracked interviews with two of the best in the women's NCAA Division One game, Ashley Leahy of Pepperdine, Alexa Graham of UNC, and of course, our latest podcast, the Inside Out podcast, which season one takes a deep dive into the history of American men's tennis during the open era and who the best American male was during each and every season that has been played thus far in open era men's tennis history. I know all of you will enjoy all of those podcasts, so please go like, rate, subscribe, review to all of them. Share them with your friends. Of course, if you've missed any of our podcasts, you can find all of them on our website, CrackedRackets.com as well. If you want to reach out to us, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, it's at CrackedRackets. Always feel free to slide into my DMs as well, at great shot pod shout out as always to the super producers max flickner and daniel westoff for the of an editing job they do day in day out we like to keep them busy because they are so good at their jobs and if you've got it you got to flaunt it right and that's what we try to give them the opportunity to do so shout out to them and shout out to our friends at midwest sports go to midwestsports.com use that promo code cr15 get 15 percent off your order as well as a free can of wilson tennis balls but with that being said for 
my super producers, Max Fligner and Daniel Westhoff, our friends at Midwest Sports, and all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say, folks. That's the break, and we'll see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.